0: STEM Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with founder of the Oralee Smith Cancer Research Foundation, Dr. Hadia Nicole Green. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor. Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Dr. Hadea Nicole Green. Dr. Green is a STEM pioneer, influencer, humanitarian, and entrepreneur who is introducing the world to the next generation of cancer treatments and affordable healthcare through her expertise in physics, nanomedicine, immunotherapy, and precision medicine. She currently serves as the director of the Nanobiophotonics and Targeted Cancer Therapeutics Laboratory and an assistant professor at Morehouse School of Medicine in the Department of Surgery. Notably, Dr. Green developed a revolutionary cancer treatment that uses lasers and nanotechnology to completely eliminate cancer in mice after one 10-minute treatment in just 15 days with no observable side effects. She founded the Orally Smith Cancer Research Foundation to raise the funding for human clinical trials and ensure that this treatment is affordable for everyone. And without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean.
1: well thanks so much brandon and welcome everybody to high-tech sunday it is certainly a delight to be with you all once again and i'm so excited about the topic that we're going to focus on today i've said for weeks now that uh, the topic that we're covering is one that is so timely and so important and so engaging. And then here comes another one uh, and it's the same thing. So I guess that's just the order of business for High Tech Sunday. Uh, So the challenges of tech startups and nonprofit, and we are so thankful to have the opportunity to spend a few minutes with Dr. Green. So how are you, Dr. Green? Welcome.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Vaughn. I'm excited about being here. It's truly a pleasure and an honor. I'm well. How are you?
1: Doing very well, thank you. It's gotten a little chilly up here in New York, so we, we got our first snowfall, so I'm I'm oh. ready for a change of scenery, but uh, that's not happening without isolating somewhere, so we'll make it work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like to say, it's bundled up, and that's why I live in Atlanta.
1: <laughs> See? See? I'll tell you later about my Atlanta connection uh, further in the conversation. One of the things that I really uh, enjoy about being Able to uh, have the uh, opportunity to talk with our esteemed guests is to get to know them because we, you know how they say, you see the glory but you don't know the story, and so. Yeah. We- we want to learn a little bit about your story before we jump in, because again, your topic is so incredibly important. Uh, just reviewing some of the CV, I got excited, like, why isn't this uh, uh, on Wall Street yet? Um, but uh, in due season, I know. Uh, but how'd you get started? when, When you were a kid, what was it, when was it that you knew that you had this interest in, this love for math and science?
2: So I know this is is, is um, counterintuitive, but I didn't. I really wish oh, that wow. someone had given me a science set, a chemistry set or something. Like really my introduction to problem solving was my aunt having me untangle her jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> A jewelry box and she said you know you can pay attention to details and you can figure out how to untangle my necklaces and i would sit there for hours and undo the chaos that had become the knotted um (laughs) necklaces
3: and when
2: i was in kindergarten my brother was in fourth grade and he would come home and teach me how to do his homework so as a kindergartner, I was doing fourth grade level math and spelling words. And, you know, it's the craziest thing being the first in my family to go to college because he ended up repeating fourth grade because I was doing this homework. <laughs> and I ended up being the first in the family to go to college and a full scholarship. And while I was growing up, I, I thought that maybe I would be a hairdresser or Um, maybe go to college on a track scholarship. And then I blew out my knee in the eighth grade and I I prayed and said, I don't know how I'm going to um, go to college. And I said, you know what? I better study a little bit harder. Mm. And and part of my journey, um, if I can tie in, like because of my background, and, and I guess let me uncover and unpack that a little bit. My biological mother passed when I was 18 months. Hmm. My I didn't know my biological father. My grandparents took my two brothers and I in, and they both passed in the same year when I was four years old. Wow. And then my aunt, who was 21 years older than my mom and her husband, took my two brothers and I in after they had already raised eight children of their own, and their youngest was already about to leave the house. And she took me in at four. Hmm. So I come from this unlikely story of really from very humble, unlikely beginnings to be one of the first women to get a PhD in physics. So the, the path, and, and, and we can unpack it a little bit, but the path wasn't a traditional one. I didn't have role models who look like me who were scientists, which is part of the reason why I know it's so important for me to do interviews for people to see me as an example, to know that What I did wasn't, because I'm so smart, I really just developed a good set of study habits so I can master the subject because I knew how to study. I had the patience to sit with things that started from unraveling jewelry, right? (laughs) And having the confidence that my brother built when I would get a math problem right or when I would spell a word right, he made learning fun enough for me to take on the challenges that I had academically. So I went to college on a full academic scholarship. I had a full ride to Alabama A&M University and my HBCU experience was amazing. I um, and, and, and I'm jumping a little bit around but I, I was class president all four years in high school and my classmates thought because I was into poetry that I would have a career as an actress Uh, Nobody thought I would be a scientist, (laughs) not even me, Uh, and even when I went to college, I thought I would be the next Maya Angelou, and I wanted to go on Deaf Jam Poetry, and when they went off air, I'm like, I've got to figure out something else, (laughs) (laughs) and so I, I got recruited because I was good in math to um, do a summer program at Xavier in computer science and decided I didn't like sitting in front of computers all day, which is ironic because I sit in front of computers all day. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then when I went to Alabama a and I changed my major three or four times my first semester from computer science to electrical engineering to mathematics. And then finally to physics, and that conversation was with the lady named Aisha Fields. She's the 50th African-American woman in the country to get a PhD in physics. And at the time she was working on her PhD, she caught me coming out of a calculus semester and she put, hey, I haven't seen you before. You must be pretty smart taking calculus as a freshman. And I said, no, I'm not smart. I just have really good study habits. And so she says, if you can take calculus as a freshman then you must you know be smart why don't you major in physics and i'm like are you crazy everybody knows physics is hard and she said to me physics is probably hard for people who are not taking calculus as a freshman if you can handle calculus as a freshman you can handle physics and don't let anybody else tell you that something's hard because it's probably not going to be hard for you and then i graduated with the 4.0 GPA in physics. Who knew? The first in my family to go to college and had a full scholarship to go to graduate school. And in between undergraduate school and graduate school, my aunt who raised me announced that she had woman's cancer and said that she would rather die than experience the side effects of chemotherapy and radiation. I became her primary caregiver the last three months of her life. Three months after my aunt passed, my uncle was diagnosed with cancer and I was his primary caregiver as he was going through chemo and radiation. And I watched him lose 150 pounds, all of his hair, all of his eyelashes. And I watched his skin turn to something that looked like it had been barbecued. It was horrific. So with my aunt, I saw her go from being the matriarch of our family, the, the glue that held us together, this powerful church going woman of God who was the cooker of Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner to someone who couldn't walk, who couldn't speak or take care of herself. And I watched cancer take her dignity. So I saw firsthand the horror of cancer and the horror of cancer care and knew there had to be a better way. So I literally prayed for God to show me a cure for cancer. And I pivoted from having a career focus in revolutionizing the way we receive cable and internet to using my background in lasers and optics and physics to developing a better way to treat cancer.
1: That is such an inspirational message right there and uh, I told you that I would share with you uh, about the Atlanta connection. Uh, I did my PhD at Georgia Tech (laughs) Uh, in electrical engineering, uh, but we have something in common. My area of expertise is optical physics. Uh, my undergrad is physics, and um, and so the thing that you pivoted from is what I actually pivoted to uh, as I went from undergrad to grad. And so, uh, so so God had it covered anyway. But I think that um, uh, how it is that we uh, can turn. Uh, Such loss into light um, for what we uh, are destined and purposed to do is really incredible. And so that actually uh, is a nice kind of segue into a question that I wanted to ask you, and that is the role of spirituality in your journey. Uh, You mentioned several times that uh, you, even as a, as a young girl, I think you were in middle school when you blew out your knee and you said, I had to pray uh, and you know, <laughs> ask God, what, what's next for me? And, and then as, yeah. as you were dealing with being the caregiver for your aunt and uncle, again, prayer was something that you uh, indicated you drew up on. So how has your spiritual side actually played a role in informing how you got to where you are now?
2: So that's a great question. So spirituality has really been the cornerstone of who I am as a woman. And 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 I'll say spirituality, my faith walk, my belief, my personal relationship with God, the creator. Um, and I was raised in the church with the woman who was a prayer warrior. And I'm do not claim to be a biblical scholar but i know how to pray and at every turn i've prayed my way through situations where i did not necessarily have the experience or expertise to warrant me being there or the blessings that have come to me and i'll, I'll, I'll say this because I, I think you know and, and forgive me if i'm jumping around a little bit but i remember one time this guy said to me oh i don't think it's fair i've been trying to get this grant for years and then you just pray about it and it fell in your lap (laughs) and and part of it my belief is what's for me is mine and things that aren't for me i pray for those doors to be closed so that i'm not off task off mission and In life in general, especially as a younger woman, I did not imagine being here at this point in my career, having three degrees in physics with no student loans, being named as one of the 100 most influential African-American women, as one of the most influential African-Americans in the United States by Ebony Power 100, Route 100, having received a $1.1 million grant from the Department of Veteran Affairs, being named by business insiders, top 30 under 40 in healthcare, or being named. And this one was very humbling. As one of the 100 most influential women of the century by USA Today, Mm -hmm. along with Eleanor Roosevelt and Hillary Clinton and the notorious RBG, and Michelle and Oprah and the founder of Susan G. Coleman and the founder I'm of talk Girl Scouts. What'd you say?
1: I said talk about it. That this I'm I'm my head can't nod any anymore.
2: So, <laughs> you <hugely. laughs> yes. And so, like to to be named with the founder of Susan G. Coleman and the founder of the Girl Scouts was so humbling. And I know that's not because. I'm all of this, or I'm all of that. I know that's a blessing for God from God for me to see the path forward, to not give up, to get the recognition on the journey, and that this is not about me and what I can do. This is raising awareness for the work that I'm doing to help save lives, which for me, um, healing is the Lord's work. And the using my background in science and having all of this scientific expertise and having cancer devastate my family grounded me in my purpose for living. And I described the work that I'm doing with my professional career and, and with my foundation as my ministry. And this part of my journey has been a faith walk because I don't necessarily know how all of this will happen. I just have faith that it will happen. And I know being obedient and looking at this whole journey as how I wear my apron. This is how I serve humanity. This is my offering to humanity. And a lot of people see that I've developed this technology that kills cancer and they immediately go to, when is this gonna be available on Wall Street? And it's like, no, that wasn't my assignment. If I could have monetized this, maybe I would have, but my assignment was to take this technology and make it affordable and accessible for all. So in being obedient to my assignment, I started a nonprofit to keep the technology affordable and accessible, and sometimes people completely disagree, and I'm like, well, it's not up for debate or discussion, and I'm not changing my business model, Mm. even though... It
1: actually is a sound modeling. So let's let's, uh, kind of take that segue. We're going to follow your lead. Uh, So I'm going to segue into the nonprofit. uh, But you have proven once again, like many other guests on um, High Tech Sunday, why it is such a uh, fortuitous thing that we have this on Sunday, because often folks will take us right to church. Um, and you just did that I almost said preach um while, <laughs> you were, while you were sharing uh again it's a really inspirational uh testimony and thank you so much for for uh letting us uh, have that peek behind the curtain
2: if I could just add one more tidbit to that. I tell people when they look at where I am you say you know you don't you know my success but you may not know my story i I feel like if there was ever an example of literally a motherless and a fatherless child accomplishing the unimaginable, that's my story. That's my testimony. And if God can do this with me, God can do anything with anybody. So having that spiritual connection as the basis for life opens up possibilities in a way that money and family and resources and being born with a silver spoon in your mouth can't. I could not have negotiated this or orchestrated this by my own doing. And I I know that. And that's part of what keeps me humble. But that's also part of my message when I'm sharing with people that until you surrender to that ultimate calling and purpose on your life your limits are there because you're working on your own imagination and your own ability and now and for years i haven't i haven't been even the technology came as a download and i just took notes and followed instructions
1: Wow. I never asked um, Ray and Brandon if you can say amen on High Tech Sunday, but uh, I got to say amen to that one. (laughs) So thanks for for interjecting that. Uh, I'm just teasing. They know I was going to say amen anyway. Uh, So let's talk about the, let's talk about Uh, the the foundation, Uh, Oral Smith Cancer Research Foundation, you kind of touched on why it is a not-for-profit versus for-profit, but what is it that makes your foundation kind of unique? Uh, How is it different from uh, the Susan G. Coleman's or the American Cancer Society?
2: Okay, so great question. I know I'm saying that after every question, but you really do have great questions. Part of what makes us different between, or what, excuse me, part of what makes us different from Susan G. Coleman, American Cancer Society, is that we're not just raising money for hope and awareness. And we're not raising over a billion dollars a year with 10% in one instance and less than 20% in another instance actually going to the research to find a cure. We started off not with the marketing plan. But with actual evidence, data, and a technology that has proven complete elimination of human cancer in laboratory mice with no observable side effects, no chemo, no radiation, no surgery, complete elimination of human cancer after one treatment over the course of 15 days. So we're not raising money for for a hypothesis of something that we want to go test to see if it might work one day somewhere down the line 20 years from now. We've already shown that this is working in a laboratory to kill human cancer and laboratory mice. And we're literally raising money to take this test into humans and to do something that's completely different. Our business model is the 501c3 nonprofit, just like Susan G. Coleman and American Cancer Society. And we're raising money through the nonprofit to ensure that it's affordable and accessible because in my mind, how I imagine the world being is that that's what cancer nonprofits should do is make things more affordable and accessible. So my big picture vision, after we commercialize this technology and translate it from bench to bedside is to build the adult version of St. Jude. And I describe us as like the Susan G. Coleman meets Eli Lilly where we're raising money through crowdfunding, through philanthropic giving, through this 501c3, but we're still very much so a tech startup with the technology and intellectual property that's patent pending. Some of the patents have um, issued, but part of it, when people start looking at us as an investment opportunity, we are not looking for investors. And I've actually turned down the investors because I want to ensure this technology is affordable and accessible, which is not the priority of the pharmaceutical industry or cancer, most cancer nonprofits. So we're bringing forth new technology and ushering in a new era of how cancer is treated, how cancer nonprofits are done. And and part of my mission is to have an effective treatment for cancer that we keep affordable and make it accessible for all. And the reason why that's so important is because people need more than hope. People need more than awareness, especially in the African-American community when we're diagnosed with late-stage cancers, inoperable cancers that are chemo-resistant, and that's starting to happen not where we're senior citizens, but it's happening when in our, we're in our 30s and 40s. And we have the famous example of Chadwick Bozeman, where we knew him, that was our hero, but we have millions of other people who don't have that international platform to recognize that this is an issue in our community, of our community being diagnosed late, underdiagnosed, not receiving the best of care, and not having access to resources, not being invited to participate in clinical trials on top of our long history of um, egregious behaviors that have come from the medical community that needs to be addressed and corrected to restore faith in the medical community um, for the African-American community. So there are a lot of layers. And part of my responsibility as a stakeholder in our community is to bridge those gaps. And that's part of what the Orally Foundation is doing. And we're launching national partnerships with fraternities and sororities, um, starting with the Brothers at Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity and Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity. Even this year, Forgiving Tuesday, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, my sorority, they are we are spotlighting the Orally Foundation as a charity to support Forgiving Tuesday. And we're building up a safe space, not just for African-Americans, but also to include the priorities and concerns that address that and impact the African-American community. So I think that answer may have been long, but I hope that, did I answer the question?
1: You absolutely answered several questions uh, along the way. So no problems there at all. I was gonna ask you about this Uh, later on near the close of uh, the broadcast, but since you brought it up, let me just do it now. Uh, You mentioned Giving Giving Tuesday, that's coming up on December 1st this year, so it's the week after next, Uh, and you mentioned how uh, the, fraternities and sororities uh, are actually getting involved how else can just the common man or woman on the street or uh, on this broadcast even how can we help is there a way for us to uh, make a donation to Lee directly
2: absolutely so anybody and everybody can go to org. that's o r a l e org. and my ask is if you can sign up to become a monthly donor at any amount, whether it's $1, $5, $10, $25 or more, whatever you can spare without missing, sign up to join our journey to help us stay independent so we can keep this technology affordable and accessible. That's the first thing. If you have had cancer impact your family and you want to be an ambassador or help us fundraise and help us raise awareness, there are a lot of ways that you can do that. And starting with hosting a fundraiser for us. And there are a lot of people who are already supporting a cancer charity. And I want to ask everyone to adopt the Ora Lee Smith Cancer Research Foundation as your cancer charity of choice join our journey, and whatever fundraising efforts you may already have, or if you don't have any and you would like to do some, let us know. We can be reached on our website on the Contact Us page, or you can email us, info, I-N-F-O, at oralee.org, O-R-A-L-E-E.org. There are other ways to give, and let me just mention those. We have Cash App and Venmo, the dollar sign or a leaf foundation. And a lot of people like Cash App and Venmo options. I was reluctant to those at first, but the team convinced me to put that there. And a lot of people actually give through Cash App and Venmo. We are set up to receive any um, estate gifts, and we can be named in estate plans and as beneficiaries on life insurance policies. You can gift us cars and houses and anything. um, In that vein, we're set up legally to receive all of those types of things. And we're on Amazon. When you shop on Amazon, you can select the Oralee Smith Cancer Research Foundation as your charity of choice through Amazon Smile. And every time you shop They won't charge you extra. Amazon will donate on your behalf to the Orly Foundation, which is really cool. And a lot of people are doing this, which I think is really awesome, is on Facebook. You can set up a Facebook fundraiser. A lot of people do that and donate their birthdays to us, which is really special. Instead of gifts, people say, hey, you know, I'm a working professional. I don't need gifts, but here's a charity I'd like for you to support. So in lieu of gifts for my birthday, please donate to the Orly Foundation, which is also something wonderful. And there are a host of employee matching programs where companies like Boeing, Microsoft, IBM, and a whole gambit, I think there are close to 50 companies now. And we're also in Benevity where you can donate through your payroll and your company can match the donations. And if you don't have it set up and you have an employee matching program at your company, please sign us up for it. We're registered and set up, ready to go. We love our corporate donors. Um, That's been a huge help for us. And um, another thing that's happening, and I I want to say a special thank you to one of my mentors and big brothers who's part of our family here, um, Oliver Leslie, who goes by Bo. Everybody knows Bo. Um, He recently unfortunately and sadly lost his mom and in lieu of flowers he asked people to donate to the Orley foundation which was a very special way to honor his mother and a lot of people have chosen to honor their loved ones whether it's for the memorial or homegoing service or if it's annually on their birthday so i would invite people to consider that as well but overall my petition is for people to adopt the orally Smith Cancer Research Foundation as your charity of choice. Wow,
1: that's good stuff. You gave us a lot of choices. And I want to point out something when this broadcast is airing as you're listening to it, folks, it is actually two days from Giving Tuesday. Uh, so I mentioned the week after next. Well, nope, it's two days from right now. And so we want to encourage you to participate in that opportunity. I have a ton more questions that I could ask, but I won't right now. I'm going to turn things over to my co host, Lango Dean, uh, to talk about getting folks into the career and pipeline. How are you, Lango? I'm
3: very well. Thank you, Dr. Vaughn. How about you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you very much.
0: You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn. Lingo Dean, and our special guest, founder of the Oralee Smith Cancer Research Foundation, Dr. Hadia Nicole Green. This week's episode is brought to you by the Baya Stem Conference. Now, a word from our sponsor.
4: So why be a part? If you're looking to improve your skill set, then our conferences are where you need to be. In today's world, people need training more than ever, even if it is a little refresher. And this is the place to learn. These are career-changing events that enrich your life both professionally and personally. If you're a student who is in college looking to graduate and want to find out what it's like to be a new professional, this is the place to be. You're going to learn from new professionals. You're going to be sitting right next to one of them. They need to tweak their skills. They're still learning. Sitting next to them is going to be a middle manager, someone who needs a little refresher on how do I deal with employees? How do I help them? How do I make them better employees? And last but not least, a person on that row is going to be the CEO of the next Fortune 500 organization because they want to find the hungry employees and hire that person. So who should come to our seminars? Pretty much everyone.
0: Again, this week's episode is brought to you by the Baya STEM Conference. Now, back to the show.
3: Hi, Dr. Green. It's a pleasure to celebrate you on the show today because black women in America who have earned a PhD in physics are, they are still hidden figures. They are so rare. Um, since nineteen seventy two, I think when Dr. Willie Hobbes Moore became the first yeah. African American woman, yeah, to earn a PhD in physics at the University of Michigan. They've only been about a hundred since, less than a hundred, yeah. I think only about ninety. Um yes. and um so it's just so it's nineteen so nineteen seventy two and we're now in twenty twenty. And so You have, but you have, you're particularly rare because you have all three of your degrees are in physics. Your bachelor's degree from Alabama A&M is in physics. Your master's degree is in physics. And your doctorate is in physics. And it's not just physics related or applied physics. It's actually physics. And I latched on, on something that you said. You said everybody knows physics is hard. This is what you told the person who encouraged you, inspired and motivated you to take physics. So I wanted to tell us a little bit about her and then I want you to talk about that journey from that point, what the journey was like, some of the challenges you faced and your thoughts today on your accomplishment.
2: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you, Lango, great
3: setup. Um, (laughs) I
2: appreciate that and the journey which i'll put in perspective from willie Hobbs, more to the woman who encouraged me to pursue a career in physics her name is dr aisha fields she was the 50th to get her phd in physics and i was number 76 and i was 76 in 2012 so wow we need to Right, there, the pipeline we're still increasing and, and there's such a great need, not just for the sake of having black women in physics, but for the creativity, the uniqueness of perspective, when we show up as our authentic self, the kind of ingenious inventions and developments and progress that the world can make when black women come into fields like physics and other STEM related careers, it's important globally for our progress as a, as, as, as a civilization. So I wanted to put that there in the front. And my conversations with Aisha are the reasons why I come out and do these type of interviews because Aisha took time to pull me to the side and have a conversation, but she also led by example. And her, positivity her encouragement her belief in me was the boost that I needed in my confidence to just try it and was it possible that I could have failed yeah it was possible but it wasn't even presented in my thought process as a possibility it's like oh if you can do this then yeah you got that that's nothing and the way that she positioned me was similar to the way my brother positioned me when he had me doing his fourth grade homework. It didn't seem like it was impossible after they gave me that encouragement. Some of the things that were critical during my journey were Dr. Dorothy Houston introducing me to Dr. Adadiyush Ela, who helped me um, get my first scholarship from NASA. And helped me get an internship at NASA after my freshman year. And that internship at NASA opened my mind. I was calibrating lasers for the International Space Station. And because Aisha was working in labs and telling me about her scholarships and her grants, her fellowships and her internships, I just followed in her footsteps enough to, until I found my own path but it, literally I was following in Aisha's footsteps and I went to University of Rochester Institute of Optics and interned there for two summers. And I worked in one of the optics labs at Alabama a and University, working on um, optics and, and photonic crystal fibers. And I was really excited about using this to revolutionize internet and cable and Dr. Houston, she she's not a physicist, but she was and still is uh, a mentor, a mother figure who encouraged me not to give up to, you know, keep going. But in undergraduate during my undergraduate studies, I, I don't want to say that it wasn't challenging, but I had a 4.0 because I was willing to commit the time that I needed to to study and make my grades. And that meant I didn't party much and I was a nerd and I'm okay with that because I didn't want to lose my academic scholarship. I wanted to make sure that I got a scholarship to go to graduate school because Aisha did it. So I figured if she could do it, I can do it. So it's not unrealistic anymore. I'm seeing the pathway laid out and keep my grades up. And, and you know, I would see her in the hallways, and, you know I'd like to see that you're studying, okay, keep going. And she would just push me Every time she saw me, and we would see each other in passing every day. And, you know, I always had my head down and I was involved in extracurricular activities, but I also sacrificed going to parties. So I didn't have challenges academically in undergraduate and during my undergraduate studies. And the expectation was you're going to just get your PhD because that's what you need in physics, you get your PhD, you can do it. and. There was a whole community of people at my HBCU who encouraged me as that's the expected track. Get your PhD in physics. Why not? And at the time, I didn't realize how few Black women had done it. It was just, oh, Aisha's doing it, and Dr. Vanessa Edwards is doing it, and she finished her PhD. And there was a cohort of other African-American women in the, PhD, in the undergraduate program and in the PhD program So because there were so many of us there at Alabama A&M University, it didn't seem like this exotic goal. It was just like, yeah, this is what we're doing. We wake up like this and we work. And we had that culture of excellence, the culture of support and encouragement and love. And it was an environment where I thrived. I built my confidence. I had the opportunity to serve as queen for a year as Miss Alabama A&M University. And it was an amazing experience. When I went to graduate school, the academics were never the challenge. My challenge in graduate school, which I don't usually talk about because people say, you know, nobody really wants to hear the ugly story, but that's what we're doing here. We're unpacking the journey. So in graduate school, I experienced a lot of racism and people who would say awful things and people who would, be in my lab and see me in the hallway and I would say good morning and they wouldn't say say good morning back so I found myself um between my lab my office the gym and my church and I was in Sunday school choir rehearsal bible studying and the tutorial ministry and another ministry called his hands ministry where we went in the in the hospitals and prayed with people and went down to the black belt and prayed with people, and that became my anchor in Birmingham when I was at University of Alabama at Birmingham, and I literally prayed my way through the racism. I had a a dissertation committee member who laughed at me and told me I would never graduate. I don't care if you cure cancer. You're not going to graduate on my watch, and that's when (laughs) I was like, you know, I was discouraged. I I, will Um, It meant I was discouraged. There were times when I was dealing with people telling me my technology would never see the light of day, go back and incorporate a drug. And I'm like, okay, I came up with one way to kill cancer. You want me to go back to the drawing board and come up with a whole other way to kill cancer? Are you serious? This is mission impossible. And there were times when I quit and my support system would say, you know what, you get back in there because shame on you if you don't go to heaven because there were cancer patients who needed this technology and you quit because somebody hurt your feelings. So after I quit, I got back up the next day and I went back in. And this part of my journey, I think, was most important because it showed me in my real life how God can move a mountain. And there was this um, I call him a TV pastor. he's a real person. But Mike Murdoch was on TV one day and he had this book. And he was like, You know, sow a seed of an elephant if you sow. A seed. And and I had never been like a, a big. Um, like, I would do my tide, but I wasn't doing outside of my budget giving, right? <laughs> and so I sold this big gift, and he talked about not praying for the mountain to move, oh, mountain, please move, but commanding the mountain to move. So I start speaking with authority on moving this mountain, who was the person on my dissertation committee who said I would never graduate no matter what I do. And so God would have it. And this is so ironic but when it came time for me to graduate and i've done everything and i'm winning international poster competitions and i'm publishing my research and there was this ram in the bush who was the older white man who came and i did a summer program with him and i was showing him my research and he took a liking to me because of my background in physics and i had spent four years at that point, training at the Comprehensive Cancer Center. So I ended up working with him for a year in the Department of Pathology and doing another year in the, at the Comprehensive Cancer Center, all while I'm in the Physics PhD program. And he took a liking to me because of my background in, in physics and my data. And he said, put me on your dissertation committee. I said, okay. And his first committee meeting, okay, Hadia, step out, close the door. So I step out and close the door, but he didn't tell me to walk away. (laughs) So I heard him raise his voice and use choice language about why they had me um, on some unrealistic um, track for getting a PhD and going above and beyond what's required for a PhD in physics. And I shouldn't have to cure cancer to graduate. That's not the international standard. (laughs) I met the standards. Let me graduate. And because of his status and notoriety, he was able to call out the rest of my committee members and get them together. But the mountain that was moved was when it was time for my dissertation presentation and for my committee to sign off, the guy who said that I would never graduate, his surrogate mother, for like he and his wife had a surrogate mother for their child who went into labor and they had at the last minute, she went into labor early or something, they had at the last minute to go out of town and he took paternity leave and told the other committee members, well, if you guys sign up on it, then sign my name. And I was like, wow, this whole mountain move!" Like he was so immovable. And having the surrogate woman have their baby move him out of the way so that I can get, finish my PhD program was such a, a, um, an important part of my testimony because I've seen God move mountains. I know that impossible can be possible. And I may, I would have never imagined something like that. I couldn't have dreamed of that. I wouldn't have even known to pray for something like that to be possible. I didn't know he was trying to have a baby until this happened. And so that type of thing for me keeps gives me the confidence that this is possible. There was another story I'll tell. There was a point when I was in the lab after I finished with my coursework and I was trying to execute my protocols based on advice other people gave me. And something said, go back to the drawing board to the initial information that I downloaded and um captured in my notebook before I started graduate school. Go back and do that. And I'm trying everything, trying everything and I went to this workshop at church. And this guy was doing a workshop about how to get unblocked and he was helping people who used to love painting who hadn't painted in 20 years because they had some trauma that made them stop painting. So, he comes back around the circle and he asked me like, you know, what's your story? And I'm like, I'm in this lab, I'm you know trying to cure cancer i had this idea and i've been trying everything but the idea was clear when i got it and he said to me if i told you there was a 100 carat diamond in this building would you stop looking if it wasn't in the first place that you look no would you stop looking if it wasn't in the second place that you look no And he was like, would you ever stop looking? I'm like, no, if you're guaranteeing me that there is a 100 karat diamond in this building, oh, I'm going to find that diamond. And he said, Mm -hmm. with that conviction and that confidence, you keep looking for this cure for cancer. Because if God gave you the vision that that's something possible and you can do it, you just have to stay the course. And every place that you look, and it's not, just cross it off the list, systematically knowing that, you just have you've confirmed that it's not there but you know because you had the dream and that vision that it's possible so you keep going until you find it and it was two weeks later when i had the breakthrough when i got everything to work and it was like oh my god honey i shrunk the tumor it was it was the (laughs) like the 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 i guess the the part for me that's most important is, is not how many people try to keep you down. It's not how hard it is or how long it takes. It's simply a matter of can you jump over one more hurdle than there are for you to jump. <laughs> like just simply clear all the hurdles. It doesn't matter if it's 10, if it's 100, if it's 1,000. Keep going until you clear all the hurdles and eventually you'll get to the other side of the hurdles. So now... I guess I should introduce myself as a professional hurdle jumper.
3: (laughs) (laughs) That's a wonderful way to wrap it up. You had some great role models and mentors along the way. There was so much excellence and love, in your words, excellence, love, amazing love that helped you thrive at the HBCU. So when the tough times came at the other institutions that you were at, when all you did was go to the lab and go to the gym and thank God for the ministry, the Black Belt ministry that you joined as a church, which kept you inspired and kept you going. And then you met so many amazing people along the way, you know, like that champion, that advocate that you had on the committee, um, you know, who spoke up for you and the way God just sort of like just parted the sky and the rainbows came through. So there was always that gold thread running through, and I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop at this point and hand it back to Dr. Vaughn. Thank you so much, Dr. Green, for this inspiring, inspiring Korean pipeline story. Thank you again. Over to you, Dr. Vaughn. Thank you, Lango. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I'd, I'd like to just echo uh, that thanks as well. Uh, it's been just an absolutely inspirational conversation. Uh, I believe that this is the 16th episode of High Tech Sunday. And I don't recall, Dr. Green, uh, if I have been moved to tears uh, like I have this time. Oh. So- it's a good thing the camera's off uh, and that uh, this is not something that people can actually see our faces for, because I, I think that your your testimony uh, is so relatable and it is so inspirational. You wind up, after listening to what Uh, you shared, thinking that number one, I can do this too. And number two, I absolutely have no excuse. And number three, I got to find my hundred carat diamond. It's somewhere out there and I've got to get it. Uh, So thanks for those nuggets. And uh, really am looking forward to uh, what is in store, uh, not only for the work that you're doing at Morehouse, uh, shaping the minds of those who are coming next, uh, but also with Orley Smith. And so uh, we just really appreciate your time today.
2: Uh, this has been a pleasure. You guys asked great questions. Thank you so much for this opportunity to share my story, my testimony, and share about my ministry and the work we're doing with the Aura Lee Foundation, I really appreciate you all and everyone who will take this opportunity to join our journey. Follow us at org and at Dr. Hadia Green, that's D-R-H-A-D-I-Y-A-H Green, like the color on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, we're almost everywhere. Um, and I appreciate any support that we get. Thank you all for it. Um, Supporting us by having me on and supporting us with any financial contributions, any introductions to organizations, any way that you support, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks again. And with that, I'm going to turn it right back over to Brandon Newby to take us out.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students, And this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bay of Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page, in addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.